Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is produced in conjunction with Mass Media, a Google partner, providing businesses with traditional and digital advertising strategy and implementation. MassMedia.net. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is available at AirlinesConfidential.com. He's the guy who nickels and dimes you and charges you for absolutely everything except this podcast. It's Ben Baldanza, former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. And if you're looking for an airline expert for your next media event, you could look around the world for a former airline executive or just call NPR here and now transportation analyst Seth Kaplan. Yeah, I play one on TV. Pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. We're going to talk about why it just became sillier than ever to call them frequent flyer miles. We'll listen to a real customer complaint against an airline. This one's pretty wild. Will Seth be able to get me to agree that this time the customer is absolutely right? We'll see in our finer wine segment. And we'll take your questions. First, let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. Well, a lot of airlines still call them frequent flyer miles, but that unit of currency has long since stopped having anything to do with distance flown at a lot of airlines. In fact, in the U.S., Alaska and Hawaiian airlines still award standard loyalty program points based on the distance you actually fly. Must be something about the 49th and 50th states. Uh, Spirit does, too if I'm not mistaken. And that's about it. On everybody else, it's all about how much you spend, not how far you fly. But there is a separate calculation for qualifying for elite status or premier status or medallion status or whatever it's called, depending on your airline. And this has continued to at least have something to do with distance flown on the big three airlines, American United and Delta. Yeah, you've had to spend a certain amount of money too for the past half decade or so. But It has continued to be possible to achieve a half-decent status tier by flying really far without spending a lot of money, especially if you've gotten out of the spend requirement by instead spending a lot of money you would have spent anyway on an airline-branded credit card. But Ben, now United Airlines has changed all this. Now you will absolutely have to spend about four or five thousand dollars just to be a silver premier so that's to get what's now a rather remote chance at a free upgrade plus some other benefits higher tiers like gold and platinum of course require a lot more spend you can help yourself a little with credit card spending but uh there are just far fewer loopholes than in the past so ben first of all can we finally hold a funeral at united at least for something that's long been popular this time of year i'm talking about the mileage run (laughs) Yeah, it's very interesting what United's doing here, but it's not inconsistent with where the industry's going. Now, if I could share a personal story, Seth. Many years ago when I was at US Airways, after the terrible events of 9-11, one of the ways US Airways reacted to that was it shrunk its fleet quite a bit. One point we had just over 400 airplanes. We cut it down to about 270 airplanes. But we had all these frequent flyers, many of them in the highest branch of the frequent flyer program or the highest level. Chairman's preferred. Chairman's preferred. That's right. And we had to think about, well, we're never going to have room for all these people to upgrade and things. So we created this idea where if you bought the lowest price ticket, your miles wouldn't count for that sort of tiered stuff. I remember this. 
And we were skewered by customers. In fact, they actually gave me an award that called me the blankety blank of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But that was a little bit prescient in the sense that while we may have been too harsh, too early, the industry has moved this way. And in my class, when we talk about frequent flyer economics, we talk about how the industry has moved from a usage-based program. How much do you use my airline? How many trips do you take? How many miles do you fly? To more of a profitability kind of metric. How much money do you make from me? And that's more closely related to how much do you spend? Now, I'm a Delta frequent flyer among, and I'm in some other programs too, but Delta gives you the ability to earn different levels on multiple bases based on how many trips you take, how much money you spend, how many miles you fly, and it tells you how much more of any one of those things you have to do to get to the next level. But it's easiest to get there if you spend a lot of money with them. And so United's change here is consistent with an industry trend to say, what I want to think of as loyalty is that you pay me a lot of money, not necessarily that you fly me every time you could. And that's going to be at odds with what some customers think about loyalty. But from the airline standpoint, it kind of makes sense, right? They can sell a cheap ticket to anyone. So you buying a lot of cheap tickets it's great that you always pick United for your cheap flight when you want to buy a cheap ticket. But if you don't buy that cheap ticket, someone else will. That's not necessarily true of people paying them a higher average and, rate. And when I... And that's yeah, why no, and, and, and the, what I mentioned about mileage runs, I'm sure some of our listeners know exactly what that is. Uh, as I said, especially this time of year, because it's when they, it's when they do it. Other people might not know the term. What that means is people who just fly purposely to attain elite status this time of year to either keep it or to get to a higher tier. And uh, they're just playing a game where they're spending as little as they can to fly as far as they can. Ben, I remember I once connected in Los Angeles on my way back from JFK to Fort Lauderdale on American Airlines back in the early 2000s to requalify for status. And so now on United, that would not help you at all because it's all about how much you spend. Um, now, I remember years ago being at an airline conference, listening to Jeff Robertson, who at the time was running Delta's loyalty program, SkyMiles, and he was talking about the value of infrequent but loyal flyers. In other words, people who don't fly all that much and maybe don't even spend all that much money, but when they fly, they fly, you know, in his case, Delta, and how you can leverage that loyalty to make money on them doing other things like credit cards, for example, right? So so there are people you could talk to who say, oh, I'm a Delta loyalist. They really don't fly that much, but you can get them to do these other things that are profitable for the airline. And as some listeners know, those credit cards, I mean, that, that's billions of dollars in revenue, uh, one or two cents at a time for the biggest airlines. Is there any risk in what United's doing at sort of overshooting and getting to a point where some of those people who feel loyal and are willing to do profitable things that just might not be flying finally say, okay, that's, that, that's enough. We've, we've had it with this program. I think it's possible, especially if they give no other way to reach those levels. The, uh, Chief commercial officer that used to work for me at Spirit used to refer to this as showing the airline love. And you can show the airline love in lots of ways, right? 
And so maybe United saying the most important way to show me love is to pay a lot of money for your tickets or spend a lot of total money with me over a bunch of flights. If that's the only way they do it and they say what you spend on your credit card that makes us money doesn't count or the fact that once in a while I actually pay to sit in a premium cabin and that might be worth even more than just buying an expensive ticket because, as you know, a lot of those seats just go to people upgrading. Um, and so there's all kinds of things like that that they can do to, to receive the love from customers. United may be overshooting if they're saying there's one and only one way to get And to it'll be level. interesting to see whether reports come out of them sort of in, in, uh, in quiet ways, making more exceptions for people who live in competitive markets than others, because all these airlines, uh, you know, come out with these rules that ostensibly apply to everybody. But let's face it, uh, somebody who lives in certain cities, uh, yeah, you get off a flight, flight attendants say, hey, we know you have a choice in airlines <laughs> or the pilot will say it. But the reality is that some of us have more choices than others, right? If you live in Minneapolis or Atlanta or Salt Lake City or certain places, you don't have that many choices. You're going to find yourself like Delta a lot in those cases, right? Uh, Charlotte, American and so forth. Uh, so so it'll be interesting to see whether as airlines have tended to do, they, they treat customers in those very competitive markets uh, differently from others. I'll tell you a, a, a personal story as a consumer a few years ago uh, about all this. I, I uh, have a, a Delta Amex card. I have a few airline cre- credit cards. And I was kind of on the fence about, do I want to pay the annual fee? Is it that worth it to me? Uh, and, and, and so I called American Express to try to negotiate down the, uh, the fee, which you, know, you can sometimes do. And depending on your habits, they might, they might work with you. And so I, I told the agent, you know, I just don't really know if I want to keep this uh, card. And she said, well, Mr. Kaplan, I see here you have half a million sky miles. You must really like Delta. And I said, well, I said, you know, I, I, I do like Delta, but the reason I have half a million sky miles is because I can never seem to redeem them for anything I really want. <laughs> and she, she laughed and she <laughs> said, well, I guess I can't get you to keep the card by offering you some bonus miles, can I? <laughs> and I said, I said, no. And, you know, she cut the fee a little or something. But uh, uh, yeah, Ben. Well, you know, that reminds me, uh, uh, let me paraphrase an old Chris Rock joke is I guess airline customers are as loyal as their <laughs> options. Exactly. <laughs> it's uh, been uh, more difficult to earn and, and more uh, difficult to redeem miles in recently, no question. Partly related to consolidation. You know, that, that story you told at US Airways way back, that didn't really stick because not enough airlines matched it, uh, put US Airways at a competitive advantage. Delta, a year or two later, tried something similar uh, by making their cheapest tickets in that, in their case, count for less uh, in terms of medallion qualification. That didn't stick either. They had to go back on it. A decade later, when everybody started doing this, uh, when you kind of, as an airline, looking around for who else is matching you, you're not waiting for as many uh, other people to match. And, and that's clearly part of what's happening here. But let's see. It had been Delta in recent years that went first with some of these kinds of moves. Uh, Delta kind of felt the most emboldened, the you know, most profitable airline, yeah, by many measures, the most, I mean, you know, running the best operational airline, for example, well-liked airline. In this case, United has gone first. Maybe uh, a, a sign that United feels confident about the airline that it's running, that it, that it could try something like this first. Let's see if Delta matches and let's see if American matches that, because that's, that's, that'll ultimately be the test here. For the Delta frequent flyers listening, 
I would wonder if they think that United is proacting here or reacting to Delta because Delta's put a lot of pressure on their frequent flyer mile frequent flyers lately to spend more money as the quickest way to upgrade. So it's possible United may be saying we got to catch up with Delta here, even though their first outlay here appears to be a little more severe than what Delta does. I want to mention one more thing that you said, Seth, of the annual run for the miles at the end of the year. I personally think that that's one of the inefficiencies still in the airline frequent fire program programs. The fact that once I reach a certain tier level with you as an airline, I really have no incentive to fly you anymore for the rest of that year and maybe try to maximize on another airline. I think programs that rewarded maybe rolling 12 months or recency or something like that without this sort of annual, you get all of 2020, I treat you well because of what you did in 2019. I think an airline that can crack that code will be the next and, and big Delta, in fact, in does have roll, uh, what they call rollover uh, medallion qualification miles and, and uh, that that clearly seeks to address exactly that, that you don't have that perverse incentive where, hey, I hit platinum, I'm not going to hit the next tier, so uh, might as well get silver on somebody else, right? Uh, well, meanwhile, Ben, a new twist on a topic we covered in an earlier episode, how to board a plane as quickly as possible. Or maybe it's really an old twist. Southwest is testing the idea of letting customers board the airplane uh, through both the front and the back simultaneously, even at airports that have jet bridges. Uh, that, according to Don Gilbertson of USA Today, uh, Sacramento is one place where they're testing this. So in other words, passengers have the option of walking down a flight of stairs from the concourse alongside the plane and upstairs to board through the rear door. Uh, dual boarding has long been common for Southwest at a couple airports like Long Beach and Burbank in, in the LA area. Those don't have jet bridges, haven't had them. So if you're using the stairs anyway, hey, might as well use both doors. Well, guess what? Sometimes necessity is the mother of invention and Southwest found that those were some of its most efficient airports for boarding. So it's trying this elsewhere. There's no question that boarding and deplaning from both the front and back of the plane is more efficient. It's also a little bit more expensive, however, because you have to have the equipment, you have to have stairs to roll up, even when the plane's attached to the jet bridges, or two stairs if you're not at a jet bridge. There's also some safety concerns. More customers get hurt walking down or upstairs and maybe across an icy tarmac. So there's some issues on a rainy day. There's some issues potentially with slippage. There's some staffing requirements for those issues. So there's, it's not just simple that every airline does it, but it is faster when you can do it. It requires a well-coordinated effort. Southwest is an excellent operator. So if any airline's going to try this with more regularity, they have a good chance of making it work. Now, in other parts of the world, this is more common in part because there are fewer jet bridges. So they board through stairs anyway, and they board from the front and the back. Indigo Airlines in India, we've talked about them in an earlier podcast. They have developed something that's quite interesting. They board from the front and the back, but they don't use stairs. They have actually developed a little flat 
switchback kind of device where you just continually walk up, but there's no steps to take. And they can wheel a wheelchair up those and customers just walk like they're walking, you know, on flat, but they're moving up the whole time, but they're never taking steps. They found that people board faster that way, that they have fewer injuries that way and such. And so uh, I think that's quite interesting. It surprises me that no other airline has watched Indigo and says, maybe we should do that now. It costs Indigo money because they had to make these devices and they have to have them at every airport. But I think the answer here is if it works for Southwest, they're going to try it more. It's not the easiest thing to do, but it is faster. For airlines that run connecting hubs, probably doesn't matter so much because the plane's on the ground long enough anyway, waiting for customers and bags to switch that they don't really need the efficiency. Ben, I remember JetBlue in its early days used to allow people to board through the rear, at least at Fort Lauderdale. And in fact, I was so impressed by that living there at the time that I wrote this song on one flight. Uh, I used to do this kind of thing once in a while, Uh, you know, Through the Years by Kenny Rogers. This uh, this is what I wrote to that. T- I'll yep. sing you just the first uh, the first verse and uh, and chorus. I can't remember when you weren't there. When I searched for fares on anyone but JetBlue, I swear Directv's the best there is. Can't think of a TV show I've missed. And you quickly turn the plane around because you let us board. Through the rear, you let us walk down to the tarmac and around the 320 and board through door 2L. Through the rear, we walk outside, but it's okay because you provide shade. And I'm so glad I've stayed right here with you boarding through the rear. Now... (laughs) They stopped doing it like right after I wrote that. I'm not trying to establish cause and effect there, but a, a major difference between Southwest and JetBlue <laughs> is, is that uh, like almost all North American airlines, JetBlue assigns seats, whereas Southwest doesn't. So even if this works well for Southwest, would there be broader applicability here? Would we see other airlines doing this uh, or does this probably remain a southwest only feature and i guess uh, you you can tell me whether indigo which you described uh what, what they do in terms of seating indigo has assigned seating i believe uh they just think that people get on and off faster and they do have short turn times people have known about boarding from the rear and front for a long time i think people expressed it at one point too so this idea isn't new The idea that Southwest is trying here is, can we make it more common? My guess is in the Southwest, in Florida, in places where weather's more accommodating, they can probably expand it quite a bit if they choose to make the investment in materials and people and processes to do it. It's going to be probably harder at Midway Airport or in some of the colder tougher weather airports they fly. And I don't see this move pushing people to match. If you're Delta or American United, you're carrying lots of connections. You want to make sure the bags can connect and the people can connect. And saving a couple of minutes on the turn time doesn't, doesn't help your operation in any way, right? And other airlines, if they're really low cost, it's not like they don't know about this. So maybe they've tried it. 
Southwest is making waves. If it works for them, they'll do more of it. But they do a lot yeah. of things that nobody else does. Like well, not uh, charge you for yeah, no, event. absolutely. And that makes that's a great point about that. The benefit in terms of the cost benefit analysis it just wouldn't be there for airlines that are always going to have, you know, 40, 50 minute turn times because they're they're, they're waiting for connections, basically, if, if you're one of those those hub and spoke carriers. Well, Ben, now at cruise altitude here on Airlines Confidential, it's time to take a question from you. Well, maybe not you personally, Ben, uh, maybe not you, listener, but somebody listening. Uh, It's that plus everybody's favorite segment, Fine or Wine. Definitely not to be confused with a fine wine next on Airlines Confidential. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is available at airlinesconfidential.com. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Fine or wine is next. But first, this week's question is from David in Brea, California. David. So if I buy a basic economy ticket on Delta or American, I can bring my carry-on bag with me. But on United, no such luck. What gives? All right, Ben. So there's basic economy and basic economy. Uh, you can't blame David here for, for being confused and probably other people for feeling the same way. In fact, I remember in an earlier show, somebody complained uh, about just that. What's going on here? Seth, this caller is exactly right to be confused. And the important thing for flyers to remember here is that airlines don't want you to buy basic economy. <laughs> What they want is you to say, okay, this airline's offering me the same fare as this cheapo airline over here, but what I really want to do is pay this airline a little bit more to get what I think a United or a Delta or an American should be. And what each airline has done in basic economy is they've chosen what features of a regular ticket they're going to take away from a basic economy customer. Delta was the first to introduce this idea, and they chose to take away the time that you board, you'll board last, how quickly like you could reserve a seat. I don't think you can reserve a seat assignment on Delta with basic economy until 24 hours before the flight takes off. And they made some impact on your frequent flyer accrual and how the miles could be used. And that those were the things they took away. When American and Delta have, I mean, American United, I'm sorry, have matched the idea of basic economy, they've taken their own view of what am I going to take away from you? And it's a it's a shell game for airlines in a way. What they do is they want to take away enough things that won't completely hack you off, but might get you to consider, you know, it's really worth me paying 20, 30, or 40 bucks more for this. United has made the decision uniquely among the big three airlines to say you can't carry on a bag with basic economy. And what this says for flyers is if you're picking a basic economy ticket, know what you're not getting with that ticket because it is different by airline. Yeah, like everything with buying airline tickets, it has become a lot more buyer beware over the past decade or so. Not so different from other industries where what you buy from Verizon is is different than what you buy from T-Mobile. But with airline tickets, people used to be used to, uh, you know, accustomed to just 
yeah, you go and look at the fare and that's pretty much all you needed to know, the fare and the schedule. And of course, you got to check a bag and of course, you got to carry on a bag and all those things. Of course, you were going to get a meal as recently as a couple of decades ago. That's obviously all changed. I remember American at first took away the carry on bag and then they quickly put it back with basic economy. They said they just felt they were uncompetitive. They were, I don't think they use these words exactly, but clearly sort of spilling too much business to Delta. United said, no, we're, we're happy with this. Is one wrong and one right? I mean, wouldn't it be that between these two airlines that just one of those things is the right way to do it? Or is there just something different perhaps about United that makes it work for them and, and not for uh, American? If only the fact right now that United's doing a little bit better so maybe they can get away with a little more. I think it's best if every airline tests what works for them. The important thing about basic economy as a feature is that it is a decontented product. It is not everything you used to get on an airline ticket. And so what they take away, they've got to figure out what works for their customers. They have a responsibility to explain that to their customers, I think. One of the problems I think this caller has is that he clearly was surprised that that couldn't happen. And that suggests to me that United could have done a little better job of saying, you've bought this basic economy ticket. Note that you can't take a carry-on bag because he thought he could. But every airline, I think, has got to figure that out for themselves. And it's not obvious to me that basic economy would be defined the exact same way for everyone. What's the same is that they all take something away. And I remember when you were running Spirit uh, and all the unbundling was going on, and sure, especially the carry-on bag charging for that, people were angry. But it turned out that a lot of what people were angry about wasn't the policy necessarily, but that they just didn't feel like they understood what was going on. And when the communication got better, I think a lot of that went away and and then it took longer with the online travel agencies, you know, for a while, if you went straight to the airline site in Spirit's case and, and, and the others too, it was very clear. You got this giant warning about, are you sure this is really what you want? <laughs> uh, but, but if you went to the Expedias and the kayaks and all those, you might not have uh, understood that as, as clearly. And, and, and now they've made headway too. Uh, so, so I think you're right that a lot of it is is not just the thing itself, but then the uh, communication. But yeah, you can imagine somebody who bought basic economy on Delta or American and is just kind of used to those airlines at least being similar, and then flies United, and the warning's there. But but you you can imagine a busy person yeah. uh, missing it. Well. Do you have a question for us? Uh, you could do what David did. Call us at 305-379-7429 and record a question for us anytime during the week. Again, 305-379-7429. Or you can email us. It's questions at airlinesconfidential.com. Again, questions, plural, at airlines, plural, confidential, all one word, dot com. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time now for fine or wine. We listen to an actual customer complaint, and then we talk about whether a complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, you have a complaint, or at least somebody with a complaint. I don't know if you have any complaints. I have a different David in Los Angeles who says... So in the LA basin, but no relation as far as we know, who <laughs> wrote to the DOT and complained about something else. <laughs> and this David says, my son recently flew with a group on American Airlines. He boarded the plane and realized he left a book in the boarding area. With the gate agent's permission, he ran out to get it. 
When he turned back around, they had closed the boarding gate. All of his luggage, including his carry-on and his jacket, were on the plane, but the gate agent refused to reopen the door. His group on the plane pointed out that he had asked if he could go get his book. No one cared, and the plane sat on the tarmac for another 20 minutes before leaving the gate for departure, and no one in the boarding area was willing to assist him on how he was going to get home. His group leader told the flight attendant they were stranding a 14-year-old boy and pleaded with them to please let him off the plane if they're not going to allow my son to reboard, but was told there was nothing they could do once the gate was closed. Ben, I, I know that because of your history, you have a lot of sympathy for people working at airlines, and I know that not that running an airline is not an easy thing. Certainly being a gate agent or a flight attendant is not an easy thing, but please tell me. <laughs> that you are not going to side with the airline in this case. The 14-year-old boy who they told could get out and get uh, go out and get his book. He gets it. He comes back and they slam the door in his face. Well, um, you're right, Seth. I have to agree 100% with the customer in this case. <laughs> What's really important here is that it's amazing that the boy asked for permission and was granted permission then likely a different employee shut the door. That suggests a complete lack of coordination among the gate crew. That if one employee says, you can get off, there's the absolute implication there is, and we'll wait for you, even if those words weren't used. And, uh, and, and, and another gate sure, agent... you could go off. <laughs> and another the gate agent yeah. Yeah, shut the door. That's lack of coordination, and this 14-year-old boy paid the price for that. This was bad, bad behavior by the airline. This uh, father has every right to be upset for what happened to his son, and the kid should be clearly upset about what happened to him. I agree. <laughs> I think most people will. <laughs> well, uh, we're out of time for this episode. We're on final approach. Uh, that does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Please fasten your seatbelt. Ensure your seatbacks and tray tables are in their upright and locked position. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions again. It's 305 379 7429 or email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com. From the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Seth Kaplan. And I'm Ben Baldanza. Talk to you soon. Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is produced in conjunction with Mass Media, a Google partner, providing businesses with traditional and digital advertising strategy and implementation. Massmedia.net. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is available at airlinesconfidential.com.